I'm Bill Lawrence, and this is my big bag of onions. The cough made to California, broken hearts and bars unknown. And through this night we'll share a lover On that dark radio How the soul may be so lonely Hands pressed cold against the phone See all the stars
was only watching Is it bad that I should love you And what they found was there was a nice correlation between the views of the economic elite and what our government actually did. So we should go from 0% of the elite supporting something to 100%. The probability of that proposal being passed goes up. Same thing with organized special interest groups. As the number of them supports something increases, the probability of that proposal being passed goes up. Here's the graph for the average voter. It's a flat line flatline, literally and figuratively. What this is saying is, as the percentage of average voters supporting a proposal goes from zero to 100%, it doesn't change the probability that that proposal will be enacted. As they put in English, when the preferences of the economic elites and the stands of organized interest groups are controlled for, the preferences of the average American appear to have only a minuscule, near-zero, statistically non-significant impact on public policy in a democracy. This is true. Right, so here's the picture that we had. We were told of our democracy. There we were, citizens, driving the bus. But here's the reality. Set me free. Oh, 
jealousy The greed is the unraveling It's the unraveling And it undoes all the joy that could be I want to have fun I want to shine like the sun want to be the one that you want to see want to knit you a sweater want to write you a love letter want to make you feel better want to make you feel women in some ways they were very different you know one was fair bubbly enthusiastic confident keen about the regime the other one was dark-haired um very reticent about the regime had a lot of caution about it saw it with a different light um and yet they were united by something so they're both proud german patriots um and they both had a strong sense of duty and personal uh, commitment however um they were committed to different things. So Hannah Reich was very much committed to the new Nazi regime, whereas Melita was a conservative from an old German family and was committed in her mind to a different Germany, a Germany before the Nazis took power. And in fact, this is the most extraordinary thing about them and why I've done them as a double biography is I think their stories together give us a much greater insight into the insanity of the regime in some ways. The Nazi regime claimed that the only place for women was in the home, kishkuka kinder, you know, church, children, cooking. And yet they gave these two women this role, uh, the only two female test pilots, but two of the most famous and the most important test pilots for the regime in the war. And the regime also said that there was no rule at all for Jews in the country. And yet Melita Schiller, just before the war, found out that her father had been born Jewish. And the Nazis knew this. We can see 
About 6% of the electricity generated in America is used to power air conditioning systems that cool homes and offices. As countries such as Brazil, China and India grow richer, they will surely do likewise. Not only is that expensive for customers, it also raises emissions of greenhouse gases in the form both of carbon dioxide from burning power station fuel and of the hydrofluorocarbons air conditioners use as refrigerants. As they describe in a paper in this week's Science, Zhongwei Yang and Xiaobo Yin of the University of Colorado in Boulder have a possible alternative to all this. They have invented a film that can cool buildings without the use of refrigerants, and remarkably, without drawing any power to do so. Better yet, this film can be made using standard roll-to-roll -roll manufacturing methods at a cost of around 50 cents a square meter. The new film works by a process called radiative cooling. This takes advantage of that fact that Earth's atmosphere allows certain wavelengths of heat-carrying infrared radiation to escape into space unimpeded. Convert unwanted heat into infrared of the correct wavelength then, and you can dump it into the cosmos with no comeback.
Dizzy, he was screaming Next to Opie, who was beaming Was thumping, suddenly in Walford And then they got into something Bias, blew a mean sax Mr. Max Roach beat a mean axe Monk was thumping, suddenly in Walford And then the joint started jumping Every hipster really dug But soon as he hit town Taking that note nobody wrote Putting them down O.P. pulled a mean string, Don and Dizzy played a hip bang, walked something, suddenly it walked foot, then he got into something. Listening to my big bag of onions. very difficult thing in regard to studies on childhood because for us um, in terms of legality we'd consider a child to be anybody under the age of 18 however is a teenager still a child is um, when does a teenager become an adult when does a child become an adult it's an incredibly fluid space of time um, for example some of the children that we've included in our article are um, 17 years old for example the powder monkey Robert Sands who wrote the memoir during the Battle of Trafalgar in 1805 was 17, yet is still considered a child per se. I would say that 
age categories fluctuate throughout history and there's no staple definition of what is a child. However, what we know is that we would definitely consider children are fighting in conflicts. For example, the American Civil War. We talk about nine-year-old John Clem, who rose to fame as a drummer boy, is definitely a child throughout the world nowadays. Something like 23% of armed organisations use children under 15 and 18% use children 12 and under. And these are definite children involved in war. Every 11 years or so, a new sunspot cycle begins. Sunspots are apparent blemishes in the sun's photosphere, the layer which emits its light. Though still hot, about 3,500 degrees Celsius, they are cooler than their surroundings, about 5,500 degrees Celsius, and thus appear dark by contrast. A cycle starts with spots appearing at mid-latitudes in both northern and southern hemispheres. Over time, these spot-generating areas migrate towards the equator. As they do so, the amount of light and other radiation the sun emits first increases to a maximum and then decreases to a minimum until the spots vanish and the cycle renews. On Earth, the increased illumination of solar maxima drives photosynthesis and thus plant growth. 
that permits botanists to use trees' annual growth rings to work out what sunspot activity was like hundreds and occasionally thousands of years ago. Determining solar activity millions of years ago, though, has not been so easy. But it is of interest to solar physicists, who wonder how far back into the past the oscillations of the sun's magnetic field that drive the cycle go, and how they might have changed over the course of time. Adam's at the window, staring at the apple trees on fire. Waiting for the windfall that brings a smile of kings and their desire. Door blows in behind him, floral pattern, summer dress so gay. Burning in the sunlight, too late to wait. The darkness won't delay to steal her cherry lips away. And while the careless tongues of sunlight slowly trickle down, the curve of hips, her fingertips in kissing sips we drown. Sing, sip, sweet, drown and I
My abiding memory is that it was a Monday morning and that weekend before was one of the quietest, most peaceful in the Soviet Union. It had been a very hectic political period where I was always busy, always filing something. There's always something happened, some protest or new directive or speech from somebody and absolutely nothing happened that weekend. So quiet was it that I booked a tennis court to go and play tennis on Monday morning. And then I was rung by my office at 6.30 in the morning to say there's a very odd statement on TASS, the official news agency, saying Gorbachev is ill and is um, remaining in his Dutch and near the Black Sea. And there's an emergency committee that's taken over and it seems like they're imposing a state of emergency. And my immediate thought was, because in those days we never really knew whether to believe what we were told officially because there was so much bombast and rhetoric. You always had to be very, very sceptical. My immediate thought was that they're just pretending to have a coup. Was this really a coup? And I went to the BBC office to start reporting on it, and I was very careful what I said to begin with, using phrases like, this has all the hallmarks of a classic Soviet coup, but not committing myself. And then I remember a friend of mine in another part of Moscow who'd been listening to my broadcasts called in and said, Bridget, you don't need to be so careful. I'm looking outside my window, and there are tanks rolling past on their way to the Kremlin. And I thought, oh my God, it's real. You're listening to My Big Bag of Onions. Never wait A clever turn of free 
you know we've had a we've been through a boom period where we've we've filled the courts up from from the late kind of 70s early 80s but as with every bubble you know unfortunately a lot of those members are starting to fall off the other side of the cliff so we've we're looking at many many ways to you know to fill the gaps and and children and you know older kids are obviously the way forward how are you looking to develop the growth of the club? Uh, I think, you know, tournaments play a very big role in terms of exposure to outside parties, I guess. But, you know, we are only a two-court facility here. And so my wife and I, we, you know, we're focusing on, on just getting those one or two people introduced per week. It's a slow process because, you know, first of all, no one's ever heard of it. Second of all, if they have heard of it, they've heard that it's incredibly complicated, which it isn't, or difficult, which it can be, but isn't necessarily. And so it's just a, it's like any other thing. You've got to work hard, spend, spend a lot of time with people, um, and you know, get people loving the game as much as we do. Twenty-six, they lay 
before progress built ahead of steam. listening to my big bag of onions hello my name's Brenda I play carpet bowls for Highwoods Carpet Bowls Club who play at the Gilbert School in Colchester we um, hire the dining room from the school or the sports club up there and we meet on a Thursday night for club night and we have competition nights on Tuesday evening as well it would be really lovely if we had our own clubhouse, but we still enjoy our evenings. We have to use the school kitchen um, and we just have an urn to boil the water with when we do suppers for our visitors, when we have matches. We have six mats that we put down with all the equipment. We have to hoik them down the corridor because we've got nowhere to store them. Um, we usually manage to get a couple of games in before we have a coffee or tea break. And we usually play another game again before we actually go home. We play all the rules seriously, but we have a lot of fun as well.
today I decided to just have some one-on-one -on -one time with you. So, obviously, just pepper time. I'm going to Amateur astronomers have a new date for their diaries. In 2022, in the constellation of Cygnus, they will be treated to the sight of a nova or new star. This one will be special for two reasons. One is its intensity. Provided you are somewhere reasonably dark, in the countryside in other words, rather than a big city, it will be bright enough to be seen by the naked eye. The second is that it will be the first nova whose existence was predicted before the fact. Assuming everything goes according to schedule, the credit for that will belong to Lawrence Molnar, an astronomer at Calvin College in Michigan, and his team, who have set out their predictions in a paper to be published soon in the Astrophysical Journal. It is a tale of scientific serendipity. Nova, which is Latin for new, comes from the title of a book, also the title of this article, published in 1573 by Tycho Brahe, a Danish astronomer. This recorded what would now be called a supernova that had happened the year before. By proving that the new star in question was a very great distance away, at the least further than the moon, Brahe dealt a mortal blow to the Aristotelian belief, widespread in Europe at the time, that the heavens were perfect and unchanging. Crucified and validated 
England, peasants were permitted to graze their sheep on the lands of the nobility. There were no restrictions on how much their livestock could feed, but there was one ironclad rule. The peasants were not allowed to collect their animals' droppings. Though the English nobles who came up with such regulations could not have known that the excrement was rich in nitrogen and vital for plant growth, they clearly knew that lands denied feces were less productive. Today, most farmers rely on synthetic fertilizers to do the nitrogen-enhancing job once reserved for dung. Urea, a compound of nitrogen, hydrogen, carbon and oxygen, can be made cheaply by mixing ammonia and carbon dioxide together at high pressure. The result is turned into pellets that can be scattered easily over fields. Unfortunately, when such pellets are exposed to heavy rain, the urea they contain is quickly and wastefully washed away. A method of keeping it in place would thus be welcome. And Nilwala Kotegoda of the Sri Lanka Institute of Nanotechnology thinks she has one. As she and her team report in Nano, they have managed to bind urea molecules to a material that stops them dissolving too quickly in water. This material is hydroxyapatite, one of the components of bone. You're listening to My Big Bag of Onions.
I'm Bill Lawrence. Join me again soon for another big bag of onions.